Bo and I were fortunate enough to work with Hal Ashby. This is a, um, a movie uh, called Eight Million Ways to Die. And um, I remember when Hal came to me with this project, said, I want to make this project. And it really didn't seem like a Hal Ashby project, the script I read. And I asked Hal why he wanted to make it. It was about a, a cop, an alcoholic cop. And Hal said, well, you know, that's a really good question. I guess that's why I want to make it. I want to find out why I want to make it. <laughs> but he was drawn to it, you know, and he says, it's not going to be anything like this script. It's going to be more into the substance abuse and that kind of thing. So we went for it, and it turned out the producer of the movie really had no faith in Hal's uh, approach. So this producer um, had, uh, had a spy on the set, and put, on this, put a spy in the set. And uh, Hal just beautifully, you know, loved the guy, you know, and got the guy in on our team. And it turns out the guy was an alcoholic. And uh, he was my uh, technical advisor on the show. He became, Hal, you know, we would, and we would, you know, I would go up to Hal, I would have a, a, a large scene about, uh, you know, having to stand up at an AA meeting and give a speech. And there was nothing written. And I would go to Hal, I'd say, you know, well, what are we gonna do for this? And he says, oh, you'll figure it out. You know, go, go talk to Bobby, you know. <laughs> and so I'd go over there, and the more, I, more we got him working on the thing, the more he fell a part of it, and he became kind of our ally. And, and then uh, the sad thing, it's one of the saddest experiences I've had making movies. Um, Hal, who is, of course, an award-winning editor, you know, uh, he, um, he gave it to his editor to assemble and took off for a week. And in that week, the producer came and kidnapped the film, fired Hal, and proceeded to cut the film just totally against the grain. And that was such a heartbreaking, you know, uh, thing. And I'm, you know, I, you know, just destroyed Hal. Um, he was such a uh, cool cat, man. Hal, I remember he said, "When this is over, I'm going to get a little." Uh, bungalow in Malibu, I'm going to set up an editing bay there, and I'm going to invite you guys over to edit your scenes, because I think you'll come up with some good ideas. Welcome back to Rotten Rewind, a podcast that looks back on the films that critics extorted to protect their wives' political reputations. If a film fails to score above the 60% threshold on RottenTomatoes.com, we get to share a snow cone with them. I am Courtney Pronto. These ones are full. I'm Max Rue. This week marks the beginning of a brand new month of auteur misfires. And for part three of the series, we're going to be immersing ourselves in sleazy LA Underworld's government conspiracies homoerotic action, sci-fi throwbacks, and an ill-advised sequel to one of the biggest films of all time. But this week, we're starting in 1986 with two of the sleaziest crime thrillers I think that we've ever covered on the show, if not the sleaziest. Yeah, what could, what what else could there be? The one with Gerard Butler. Well, Den of Thieves is Den like- Den of Thieves, I feel like, I feel like these heroes- like walked so what was his name big big, big nick. nick could run like i feel but like they're, they're the same kind of sleazy i guess it's kind of similar to eight million ways to die because they're both in south la yeah um den of thieves is just like more like monster energy drink up, updated of uh of one of these and uh yeah I agree these ones that. are very coke fueled where the other ones i think are a little more like kind of like boozy like fucking like a fucking 12 pack at night and then yeah monsters in the morning to get you going kind of thing yeah, these movies have like a stench to them. 
Yes. In a way that I was into. I like the stench. First up, it's Hal Ashby's swan song. Oh, I didn't know that it was his last movie. Eight Million Ways to Die, starring Jeff Bridges, Rosanna Arquette, and a ponytailed, but, you know, barely ponytailed, kind of, Andy Garcia. It's a baby ponytail. It's a really weird ponytail. You can only see it from certain angles. It's like the opposite of when a dude is like, oh, you can see her, like, butt from the front. You know, it's like you can only see the ponytail in This was the man bun of the 80s, though. It was just like a little ponytail. It could, like, be a clip-on, yeah. And after that is John Frankenheimer's adaptation of Elmore Leonard's 52 Pickup starring Roy Schneider and Margaret and John Glover. What a weird career, Anne Margaret. Yeah, definitely need to to jump into to Anne Margaret. You didn't know that Eight Million Ways was was Ashby's last film? No, because uh, we'll get into it. I'm sure. I'm not like always on board with Ashby. I'm not either. I'm not either. Okay, okay. I mean, I guess, namely, I don't like Harold and Maude that much, which is, I feel I like the one. Okay, cool. Yeah. I think that movie is like quirk for quirk's sake. I think it's like a lot of the things that I don't like about new movies. Like, for sure. Like the genesis of it, I I really dislike it. It's super annoying. I mean, like, I get that it's hard is in the right place and everything. And I think that, like, reading more about Hal Ashby in the last week, I, I think I started to feel bad about how much I used to hate Hal Ashby because when yeah. I was like in my early 20s, like more of like a reactionary, pretentious, like film asshole. I don't know. I was just like, fuck Hal Ashby. Um, and I wish I liked Shampoo, but I don't. I wish I liked Shampoo too. Shampoo, his movies are weird because it's, there's definitely like a very kind of humanist, like melancholy to all of them, even when they're supposed to be like a little breezier. I love The Last Detail. I think that's his best movie. I'm See, like, I have never seen that. Definitely watch The Last Detail. It's one of Nicholson's best performances. Randy Quaid's great in it. This um, makes me want to watch it because I think that as of right now, this is my favorite Hal Ashby movie. <laughs> this is. I'm not kidding. Like I was. I feel like we're kind of on a streak, or we're like this is like one of my favorite movies that we've done in a while. Like I, I was really, really into this. Along, it's with an the, amazing double feature. Like I would love to program this double feature and see it. Yeah, theaters. It would be so much fun. How yeah, old was he when he died? He was not even 60. He died two years after this movie of pancreatic cancer. When we jump into the movie, we definitely should talk about Ashby because, you know, I think that that was something that I felt really bad about in hindsight, even though like, whatever, it's it's fine to be an annoying um, film brat when you're younger and talk. Yeah, that's part of the job. Yeah, but he had a really tragic life. I think he was really fucked over and he seems to be a director's director where like, I think a lot of other directors love him. I didn't see the documentary that came out about him like five years ago. That was apparently really great. But I watched, you know, some footage from like his the eulogies at his funeral from Warren Beatty. And just people seem to really love him and respect him. And I also had no idea that he started out as an editor. So that is really interesting to me. Frankenheimer, though. I love huge Frankenheimer fan. Yeah, you are. I've been going real deep on Frankenheimer's filmography this last week because I hadn't seen a lot of his 60s movies. I hadn't seen uh, a lot of his Burt Lancaster movies that are fucking fantastic. Lancaster is underrated. Lancaster and and Robert Mitchum, I think, have become two of my favorite guys. I think Mitchum is rated, though. Like, I think Mitchum is is sort of like in the canon. I think that... Some people don't know what, I I think that if you said Burt Lancaster to a lot of people, a lot of people couldn't think of what he looks like. And that's That's too bad. That's probably true. Yeah. Because he he was was really fucking hot. You know what I've never seen that I I really want to is uh, The Leopard. I've never seen that, but yeah, it looks very good. Okay. So he did win an Oscar. I couldn't remember if he had won an Oscar. What did he win for? Elmer Gantry. Oh, see, I don't know that one. He was nominated for Birdman of Alcatraz, which is Frankenheimer. It's so Mm -hmm. fucking good. Atlantic City, he's really good in From Here to Eternity. How was he not nominated for Sweet Smell of Success? I don't know. What about the one, the really good, the one where he escapes the from swimmer? jail? Oh. No, the escapes from jail. 
That that's my favorite. Oh, and he's in Crisscross. Yeah, love Crisscross, dude. Crisscross is fantastic. Was it Brute Force? Are you thinking of Brute yeah. Force? Okay, that's yeah, yeah. That's like one of his first films. Okay. Have you seen Brute Force? No, I really need to. I need Brute, to see Force Brute Force is like one of one of the best. I mean, it's just one of my favorite movies, but he's fucking incredible in it. He's so good in the swimmer. I haven't seen as many John Frankenheimer as you. Like I've seen what? the Birdman of Alcatraz. I was just amazed how fucking cinematic watching Burt Lancaster bring a bird back to life was. Just watching him with a bird was. <laughs> I was like, this is incredible. I could watch this for hours. Yeah, um, I think that he gives himbo face, but it's like actually really good. They uh, made a French connection too. Yes. What's that like? It, it's kind of tight. Okay. It's obviously was never going to be French connection because I mean, how the fuck are you going to make a sequel to that anyway? They were going to make more of them. I don't know like how it compares to something like the two Jakes to Chinatown or something like mm-hmm. that, where it's kind of like a weird passion project. Um, Wait, I think I've seen Dead Bang. Did we do Dead Bang? No, but I want to so badly. I, and I I think I've seen Dead Bang. So I watched Dead Bang two weeks ago <laughs> and I immediately had to find the cheapest DVD copy of it. It's one of the fucking funniest movies I've ever seen. It's Don Johnson as a yeah. fall down alcoholic cop who lives under the Burbank airport who can't get custody of his kid. He's trying to take down like a gang of Nazis, but he's so fucking drunk all the time. He literally chases a guy at one point and then pukes all over him because he's so hungover. It's amazing. Love Dead Bang. I mean, it's it's not a good movie. I think I've definitely seen Dead Bang. Oh, it's, it's tight. So um, that's kind of his wheelhouse is like this drunk cop narrative. Well, I no, I think that he, I think that, you know, Frankenheimer had a little more range to him than people gave him credit for. I think he was mostly known for a lot of his genre films and his action films. But as we'll talk about later, he, I think just like his whole origin story and how he got into film was really interesting. And he just seemed like a fucking badass. Like he had kind of like the big dick energy of like a Michael Mann, mm-hmm. but he didn't seem like he was like an asshole. He's just fucking dope. He literally took over that movie, The Train, because uh, Arthur Penn was directing it. Burt Lancaster didn't like the direction that he was taking the movie in. So he called Frankenheimer and he was like, do you want to do this movie? They had already started shooting. Frankenheimer came in last minute, uh, negotiated his own contract personally so that he could get a Ferrari. He was like, I'll do the movie if you get me a Ferrari. Wait, uh, for real? Yeah. And then he was like, <laughs> and because they were shooting in France contractually because of some guild thing, there had to be a French co-director on set all the time. And I guess Frank oh. was like, he was like, I want a Ferrari and I never want to see that French guy. Just make sure that he like, I don't care what he has to contractually do. I just don't ever want to see him on set. And they're like, okay, whatever you need. Frank and I huh. are cool, man. But let's start with, let's start with Hal Ashby in uh, 8 Million Ways to Die. Where is Sarah? You don't make the rules here today, baby. Jeff Bridges, star of Jacket Edge and Starman. You're going to blow the deal, man. Roseanne Arquette, star of Desperately Seeking Susan and Silverado. You got Sonny killed. They're in trouble. In love. For a half-assed hooker, you're an extremely arrogant woman, you know that? And in way over their heads. It's murder, prostitution, drugs, and passion. Announcing the video cassette release of a sensational detective thriller. Now cut her loose! What? Anything can happen when there's eight million ways to die. Hal Ashby is rarely mentioned in the upper echelon of the new Hollywood directors he came up with. His 70s run rivaled Coppola's as one of the most beloved and cherished of any director's filmographies with the critically acclaimed streak of The Landlord, Harold and Maude, 
the last mm-hmm. detail, coming home, bound for glory, and being there. I've never seen it. Oh, I don't like being there either. I've never seen it. I, I like the book. Oh, okay. all right. But Who I, wrote the I, book again? Oh, fucking Coke. Cause Jerry. Oh, Kaczynski. Yeah. I actually just watched The Landlord. I'd never seen that. And I really liked that. It's kind of dopey. I've never seen The Landlord. Love the poster. Landlord's cool. Coming Home has good acting in it. I really don't like the story of it though. But Ashby began his filmmaking career late after serving as a film editor in the 60s for directors like his mentor, Norman Jewison. He won an Oscar for his work editing in the heat of the night, but could only be nom- would only be nominated as a director over 10 years later for coming home. By the 80s, Ashby was nearly unemployable after being deemed unreliable because of his public drug addiction. After a series of unmemorable misfires, including a Rolling Stones doc and a Neil Simon adaptation, Ashby found himself newly sober and attempting to make a comeback, which leads us to his unexpected final film, 8 Million Ways to Die. Adapted by your favorite, Oliver Stone. You know what? I have to I have to praise because I love this screenplay. <laughs> I, I don't know how much of Stone, you know, actually ends up in the movie. So it's adapted by Oliver Stone, hot off the success of Scarface. The film was originally set to reteam director Walter Hill with Nick Nolte, which makes total fucking sense. That is a Nick Yeah, Nolte and it makes character. sense that it's... <laughs> Scarfacey too, because like there are some things about this that I was like, oh, this is like if I liked Scarface, yes. you know? Yeah, we will definitely talk about the Scarface connection, but it ended up in the hands of Ashby and star Jeff Bridges. Bridges plays Matt Scudder. Just <laughs> sounds great like name. <laughs> Matt Scudder, an alcoholic L.A. cop who takes a leave of absence to get sober after he kills a man in front of his own family. That scene is really, I mean, you you obviously like make movies and I like watch them, but like I feel like sometimes scenes like that can get really like cloudy, but like the stakes are so high. Like, you know what's going to happen and it is really frightening. And like, I think it's like choreographed like pretty well. Like I understand what's happening the entire time. It's a really sad scene. It's a really sad scene for everybody. Like For everybody involved. Everybody involved, like Bridges at the end of that scene is just like, oh, fuck, man. Like, he just seems so bummed. Um, that's also because they go into a stakeout um, chugging from a flask. Yeah. Uh, months later, Matt is divorced and living on a pullout couch in El Segundo when he meets Alexander Paul Sonny, a banana daiquiri loving call girl looking to get out of the criminal underworld that she's employed by. After Sonny ends up dead, Matt teams up with her pimp Chance, played by Randy Brooks, to take down the Tony Montana of South LA, played by a young Andy Garcia. Roseanne Arquette pops up as another call girl named Sarah who develops a relationship with Matt after puking all over his dick. The film is mostly known as Ashby's- Dude, <laughs> yeah, like- The film is mostly known as Ashby's final film, one that died a quick death at the box office and scored, this is a podcast record. This is a, this is a, a no. new day on the podcast. A 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. This movie has a 0%? Yeah, I told you a few weeks ago we had a zero percenter coming up. I said we have an upcoming zero percenter. I don't know if you'll guess it. I could have never guessed it. Now, granted, could- there's not a ton of reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Or right, like right, right. But they're all negative, and it's hard to find any positive review for this movie anywhere at all. The most positive thing that I could say about it is that it, it's Tarantino's favorite final film from a director. He loves this movie, which honestly, makes a lot of sense. yeah, this movie. Really- he he really praised this movie. Um, he talked about going to see it opening weekend with his friends that he worked at a video store with, and they were all just quoting it and just in love with it. And that that makes a lot of sense. Robert Town was brought on to rewrite the movie. Okay. Um, he switched the location from New York, where it was supposed to be set, to South LA, which is where Robert Town and coincidentally Tarantino are both from. They're both from El Segundo. It's based on a book, a series of books. Apparently, apparently Matt Scudder is like a fucking dirty hair. Oh, he's like a dude. He's, he's like, like a dude. A Scudder series. <laughs> That's sick. So he's like, it's like Scudder. And what was, wait, what's his name? Harry Callahan. No, no, no. Um, Michael Fassbender's character in The Snowman. Oh, Harry Hole. 
Harry Matt, Hole. Yeah, he was the original Harry Hole, Matt Scudder. <laughs> Dude, this is sick. I want to get into the Scudder series, maybe. They, they but, need to bring back the Scudder series, honestly. They, they wanted to make a series out of it, but it clearly didn't go well for them. So yeah, we don't, we're not huge Ashby people on this podcast. I would have um, never guessed that he directed this movie. No, I would have never, never guessed that it was this disliked. I mean, because it's really funny. <laughs> it's, it's extremely funny. Well, the whole thing was that, okay, so the movie, what's funny is that what's actually the most tragic thing is that the movie gets taken away from Ashby two weeks after they wrap and they don't even let him edit it. And it's like, this guy won an Oscar for editing in the heat of the night. He started off as an editor. Right. Like if there's one director that can clean up whatever, you know, mess he made on set, it's probably him. And they were just like, no, you're completely out. They brought in a new editor, added in a bunch of uh, weird voiceover, which I'm sure you'll know where that was. It's mostly like the first, the opening act of the movie is definitely feels like the most like stitched together in a weird way. It does. But then I think that like, it really like evens out and there's like so much weird shit happening and like getting used to just like who his character is. Yeah. Is really bizarre because like, okay, one of the things and it ends up not being important at all. But what I thought the story was going to be, I thought maybe he was a closeted um, alcoholic cop because like, <laughs> no, I know I'm not happened. kidding. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Because do you know, you know, the scene like after he kills the guy mm-hmm. and then he's like drinking at the bar oh, and then he's getting I interrogated. They, when it looks he's like getting interrogated. Well, also just Bridges, we should just say like, has so much swagger in this movie. Like he is so cool. Really if he fucking wasn't as hot. handsome as he is in this, he would he be so he would be so fucked. Hot. This guy would just Oh yeah. Be- this guy would be this guy would be fucked. But he's super fucking that's what he's is, literally that's what the, he's literally what everyone in Portland, like all dudes in Portland, like wishes that they looked like Scudder. When they um, interrogate him as chief, it's just like you're lucky you're so fucking hot. If not, yeah, basically, I mean, but you look so goddamn good in that shirt. You look hot. <laughs> and then and then they're like, were you like under the influence? Like, were you drinking when you shot this guy? And he was like, not yeah, as much as I'm man. going to. And then it cuts <laughs> to him at the bar with like his partner. Yeah. And it's a really like sweet scene, but it's very flirtatious. It is, right? They're flirting. They are. Learning. If I saw you and Nick flirting like that, I'd be like, you guys fuck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like if I went out to get a drink with my boy after work and I was just like kind of like, like putting my hand on his knee. each other. Yeah. yeah. He's like kind of falling into his chest and he's like, man, what we did today was bad. And <laughs> then like they like fall out down. Over killing this guy. They're like, fuck, that sucked. <laughs> yeah. And then they like fall down, but like kind of sexy, you know, like maybe that's one of the deleted so- scenes that they took out of the movie that Ashby shot. Ashby was like, I think that maybe you should fuck your partner. And it just seems. And then he wakes up and I'm sorry, like part of the best part of him getting sober is that like, and like, maybe they should show this to people. It's like his wife wasn't hot. And by the end, <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> you know, when you were drinking, you're, you had a really unhot wife. Your wife just wasn't on your level, but like, but like she tolerated him because yeah, he's like going going to sleep on like a fence <laughs> no yeah they, they show him literally like passed out on the cinder block wall on the side of their house and she's basically like when you come down from there and he's like fuck you yeah you can't yeah. hear any of the dialogue he just kind of looks at her like what are you gonna do about it their daughter comes out and she's like dad <laughs> what is it sweetie <laughs> Daddy's and then it flashes forward to him getting like you do you also get like 
weird voice. So this is where the weird voiceover is. It's mm-hmm, like basically mm-hmm. just shots of like headlights kind of blurred out. It's like blurred headlights as if he was like driving drunk and that's what his POV was. And it's just him like talking to himself. I don't really know why. At one point you just hear Bridges. Like it's the most Bridges delivery. He's like, turn your lights on, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then, yeah, he's in AA months later. He's sober. He's been sober for six months. He's collecting a chip. Um, and then this is where I'm really confused. He meets a woman outside the meeting who's like, hey, this is, I know a guy who wants to like meet you. Oh, yeah, that is confusing. So I think what I decided was that like she, well, no, it's not a guy. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. She's like, there's a woman who wants to meet you. Yeah. So that's woman how who wants he to meets meet Sunny. Yeah. She's like, do you want to go to this party? And he's like, oh, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if I should do that. And then she hands him an envelope and it just has a hundred dollar bill in it. And he looks at the hundred dollar bill like he hasn't seen money in months. And yeah. He's like like oh, he's hungry. Fuck, okay. I guess I'll be there. And then he goes to this party, which is like basically it's like a Valley Coke party that is just in like a filled. man cave. It's like, yeah, it's basically just like a bunch of dudes with ponytails and bullets like partying and doing blow and watching a boxing match while like a few girls walk around. Yeah. Sonny, who is this like young prostitute who basically, I don't know, again, I'm not really sure her connection to Bridges. Like she's basically just somehow knows him or maybe remembers him from his past. So what I think is like maybe they had hooked up when he was like blacked out. (laughs) Yeah, because he does kind of like suggest that like he's like he hey lady her, he's like listen if i met you over the last six months i was probably blacked out i don't yeah 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 <laughs> maybe that's why but that is pretty foggy <laughs> and then you yeah. get to meet the pimp and annie garcia it's basically like if he woke up from like a coma it's like yeah. oh i don't know you <laughs> and then all these women that he ghosted are like trying to fuck again exactly they're just like you don't remember me and he's like oh, i'm sorry <laughs> I mean, also the woman who plays Sunny does such a good job at like strumming the like this woman is like kind of like clueless and desperate and coked out as fuck. But like she's kind of awesome. Like, yeah, I love when she's like, can we go to your place? And he's like, my place (laughs) that he's like, yeah, I I live in my car. (laughs) What do you mean? But at the party, that's where he meets Andy Garcia, as well as a a, a former boxer, I believe. Right. Played by Randy. That's Chance played by Randy Brooks. Uh, Andy Garcia and and Randy Brooks at one point stick their tongues out at each other. Dude. While watching a boxing match. They also are flirting. (laughs) This movie is just about like embracing the need to want to fuck your boy. It's basically like. We're on so much blow that like we should just fuck, but it feels like that. Yeah. But these sex workers keep getting in the way of all these bromances. They go to a bar where, first of all, this woman orders like banana daiquiris. She loves banana daiquiris, which is just she. Yeah, that is disgusting. Like her. That's a gross order. If I was with somebody who ordered a banana daiquiri, I would reconsider the rest. Of it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think it's a fine thing to get one of. She gets think, a few though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like listen. I think it's I think a daiquiri is a lot to even order like two of generally, but like this she bitch is getting like banana daiquiri after banana daiquiri, and that is a. And then she flag. takes the last one to go, which is amazing. This bar is like, yeah, you can take that to go. She takes the daiquiri to his house <laughs> somehow. Yeah, like I have that note too. It's somehow amazing. it makes it all the way to his house. <laughs> I love when he lets her into his house and she looks around and just goes, oh. Yeah. <laughs> like, no matter how fucked up she is, this guy's house still sucks so much that she's still like, you live like this. Because <laughs> she's like a fancy hooker. Like, these hookers are like. Okay, so also, did you notice his answering machine? His voicemail, his yeah. outgoing message sounds like he doesn't understand what voicemail is. No, it doesn't. He's basically like, hey, it's Matt. Uh, leave, you know, uh, your name. 
your number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, he's, like he's never answered a phone in his life. <laughs> so that I, I loved that detail. He got though. sober and was like, what does this do? <laughs> I love that like, detail, though. Want- I thought that was really fucking funny. It's the longest outgoing message. This guy's just like, ah. Uh. And then we get to our favorite, I think our mutual favorite line in the movie. Okay, that line. Well, I guess we should also say at the party, he meets uh, Rosanna Arquette. Right, he does um, meet Rosanna Arquette. Whose uh, name is Sarah in the movie. Who, who is just like. supposed to be played by Jamie Lee Curtis and she dropped out. Oh, it found its right heroine. I'm sorry. Rosanna is one of those girls for me, like different, different vibe than a Parker Posey, but she just classes up the joint. Actually, she she doesn't. She kind of scums up the joint in like know, a way that's, that's, that's like fun. so fucking hot. She, she kind of has so... a Brittany Murphy vibe about her when she was younger too. I, like, like she... yeah, yeah, like like the kind of like lostness. Yeah, and this is like right after After Hours and Desperately Seeking Susan. So this is like pretty much I think the peak era of her career she's so fucking hot like she is so she's just one of the like and like peculiar looking like one one of the great voice too yes so once you see rosanna i think that at that point if you're a film person you you know that sunny's gonna die pretty soon because he needs to pivot (laughs) his attention to rosanna like that's just and like sunny's character is like so funny and tragic but there's only so much of her you could not string that going for an entire movie every that'd be really funny he's so fucking dumb and naive she's like i think that guy's following me (laughs) you sure this is your bank and she's like you're right this is my bank Like, she has a lot of really fucking amazing lines but then but, okay but nothing is better than, than this okay guy. yeah get, set you it should, up set you, it up well bridges after we said he gets a call because he has this uh 10 minute outgoing uh voice voicemail uh where he's confused <laughs> as to what you're supposed to do at this point and then he answers the phone and he says i'm here like 20 times he's like i'm here i'm here i'm here and it's his daughter who's like hey we're gonna go horseback riding tomorrow right and he's like you bet and then the, the whole time he's talking to his daughter we hear sunny in the other room just like, be like come here i want to show something yeah, she's like, i'm so horny where are you and she's like doing like some lines of coke and she's like yeah. baby she's blowing coke in this guy's like fucking bathroom which is like the size of a closet <laughs> just being like this guy has a bedroom too but he just has a couch in the bedroom that is a pullout bed he doesn't have a bed he just has the couch yeah but then he goes into the room and she's standing naked in the bathroom, just in the dark. And my <laughs> god, <laughs> it's so amazing. And yeah, so it's like shining in the dark and like the moonlight's coming through and she's completely naked. It's a problem, Sonny. Oh, no problem. I want to show you something. Mm. The street light makes my pussy hair glow in the dark. Mm. Cotton candy. The glow. I'm not only a whore, you're a dumb whore. She's so stupid. He's really clearly not very bright. She's and he's so just, dumb. just like, you're a dumbass. But then it reminds goes, me of like my favorite thing that was ever said on well, one of my favorite things that was ever said on America's Next Top Model was a Janice line. It, <laughs> there was this model, and like her photos came back, and she's like, The problem with you is that you are stupid and you look stupid. <laughs> She's that's, a stupid that, that's sunny. She's stupid and unfortunately that's gonna be the end of her. But basically she's like, I don't want to be a whore anymore. Can you save me? And she's like, Chance is my pimp. If you just talk to him, maybe he'll let you. It, I, it's very strange. She's basically- It's very oh, strange because like I don't know why like she needs- If I get some cop to go to my pimp and tell him to stop pimping me, that he'll say, okay. 
Yeah. Well, no, I think, well, it made sense at the time because like, you know, that Chance and Matt have like a history because I think that Matt busted him. Yeah. He's busted, he busted him. him at one point. But when he goes to him, he's like, he makes him the worst offer though. He's basically like, if I give you like a hundred bucks, can you, it's like her? dirty money can that's like in his pocket. Her? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, pennies <laughs> are falling out of yeah, his wallet. Yeah. If I give you 50 bucks, like receipt and- can she go back home? <laughs> can she stop being a whore, please? And then he's fucking cool about it. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, he's like, I'm not a, well, he has a great line. He says, I'm not a pimp. I'm nobody's pimp. And if I was a pimp, I'd be the most pussy with pussy, pimp yeah. alive. <laughs> yeah. He's basically like, I pay these women and like keep them fed and yes. lease their cars out so they can like be at these parties. And then they set their own rates to like their johns. Like, yeah, he's basically yeah, he's, just like, I run a club. Like, I don't know. What yeah. You like, maybe yeah. Like he almost sketchy, treats them like, as like waitresses. Yeah. He's like, no, I, I respect them. They're my friends. <laughs> they set their own rates. That's Honestly, yeah, I was gonna say it seems like nice better thing. than some restaurant jobs. Yeah, no, for sure. I do love that at one point though, they're because they're at Andy Garcia's house again, and Bridges picks up this like, is it like a geisha piece of art or something? It's like um, a little it's, sculpture. I don't thing. think it's a. It, it the woman is Asian, but I think her hair is down, and okay. I think that like the sculpture itself is like made to lie flat. So you know what I mean, okay, like because yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that she has like a flat back, and you can like really see it's a really cool piece of art. Actually, he picks Bridges picks it up to look at it, and Andy Garcia just goes, "Put that down. You don't know anything about art. You don't know nothing." Yeah, about it's art. really funny. <laughs> And we should say that Andy Garcia basically is is talking. He basically is delivering most of his lines like Tony Montana. Um, exactly uh, like Tony Montana, but maybe like more racist. If you can think of that, if like if you could, he's actually Latino. Yeah. No, listen. I like Garcia's. Oh, like, I grew to really love his performance in this. Like, I really like his performance. It, he's like really weird at first. Yeah, he's not even cool or really like slick. He's just weird. He's just like a weird kind of sleazy coke dealer. He wears like kind of mustard yellow suits. Um, there, that suit was sick because it wasn't like overly suit. fitted. It was like really drapey and cool. Yeah, like that, was that suit rips. But, but that is when, yeah. So Bridges basically, he agrees to help Sonny get out of town. He takes her to a bank to get some money so that she, or no, he takes her to put in, what does he take her to put in the safety deposit box? No, he takes her because she keeps her flight, her plane right, ticket in the right, safety right. deposit okay, box. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he goes to her bank and then you never see who she's looking at, but she's basically, like I said earlier, like, I think this guy's watching me and he's like well this is your bang and she's like oh right i'm so paranoid you're right yeah <laughs> and then um she gets kidnapped bridges chases this van that she's been kidnapped in where he can clearly like see her in the back of the van and then pretty much Those, watches her. there's a lot of blood i'm not sure what they was gonna say, it's like it's like a splish splashed blood situation it, yeah, like, it's a big splash it's pretty fun though yeah and then the next time he sees her she's just fucking dead in the la river and then this is interesting because this is where I'm wondering if there were scenes deleted or something because the next thing you cut to, Bridges wakes up in a hospital with just like fucking shit all over his mouth. He looks like he has like like hemorrhoids in his mouth or something. And he's stumbling around and he just goes, where the fuck am I? Yeah, because at first I was like, because like you never, like I was like, at first I was like, did they drug him? You know, like whoever the baddie is. Yeah, I was like, how did he but then, get here? But then I think what it actually is, is like he just like fell off the wagon. Yeah, like he saw this girl die and then was like, I got to get a drink. Which, look, I mean, in all fairness. No, I'm no, not, yeah. I would I, probably be like, yeah, I just watched this girl, I think. But it's not it's all. not explained. And I think that, like, I thought that it was going to be returned to. And I don't really think it. He basically is, like, stumbling around the hospital. And he's like, I got to get out of here. And his ass is, like, falling out of his hospital gown. And they're like, yeah. you got to lay down. <laughs> He just checks himself out. He goes to, he goes back to Andy Garcia's house to figure out what's going on. And 
talks to Roseanne Arquette again. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I just want to talk about the the little trolley that goes up Dandy Garcia. Yeah, okay. Where? Because at first I was like, where the fuck is this? He has like a tram that it, it's like the um it's like the, the little angel. one in sf that like goes from like one block yeah. to another like in the angels flight angels oh yeah flight. you're right so I, he basically has the angel flight like in his front yard it takes you up to his house i'm almost like did they film it there and just like make a set like i don't get no i'm assuming i i should have looked up the filming location like i, I don't know. get how they got that i don't know but it's dope all I know it's, is that it's a really cool thing to have at your house. Yeah, and, but it's uh, also so funny because there's like a few getaway scenes. Where it's going like really slow. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like comically slow. Well, he basically like kidnaps uh, Roseanne Arquette. Oh, yeah, because she's like, she's her. funny. She's like, you're a lush. Like, you're, yeah, she's, she's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're a yeah. And then he's like, you're a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> It's basically like the same as like the poetic justice when they're just like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. But they're just yeah. like, you're an alcoholic. <laughs> like, well, you're a cunt. <laughs> yeah. And then he like takes her, he kidnaps her and he puts her. And she kind of looks like charmed by that. She's kind of like, hmm. Yeah, she's like kind of into it. And she's like, I think you like like abducting me like this. Yeah, and he's like, I don't like abducting women. Yeah, Andy Garcia is like yelling at them from the front of the house because he's just watching them, like you said, slowly go down this little like trolley. Yeah. And 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 he's just like clearly kidnapping her. And I love that Andy Garcia is like, he calls her Sarah. He's like, Sarah, Sarah, what's going on, baby? He keeps like screaming and at her. And she's like, I've been working all day. I'm going to go hang out with this guy. <laughs> yeah, he's clearly like has her in like a chokehold. And she's like, it's okay. You know, I we're like just going to go get a drink. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. <laughs> we really hit it off. It's so sick. And then she proceeds to get like blackout drunk. Yeah. And then she tries and keeps to trying to get. Him. And then yo, she's like, I'm going to fuck you so good. I'm going to suck your dick so <laughs> So good. <laughs> she tries to give him head and then she just pukes all over his Like head, three which times. Is insane. She pukes and he's all like, over ugh. Him. And then he picks her up and takes her to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, he's very cool about it. He's he is like, very cool about it. Like he gets it. He's a drunk. He's probably puked on his partner. Exactly. At point, you know, like <laughs> I wanted a scene with the partner and Bridges, like uh, Andy Sandberg and, and Peter Gallagher in Palm Springs, when he's like, What are we doing before yeah. they're about to make out? And then we get this amazing scene where uh, Garcia in, meets up with Roseanne Arquette and Bridges. I thought they were outside the Science Center in LA. They are at the college. They were at the LA Coliseum. It looked like the Science Museum, though, and okay. I was really confused. I was like, "Why are they meeting in the parking lot of the Science Museum?" I didn't, I didn't know where the fuck they were, but I was like, "What is?" They meet at the LA Coliseum, and you okay. get this incredible bit that I don't know who is responsible for this bit. It's, it's if it's Oliver Stone, I I guess I do have to take back a lot of the things I say about. It's hard to say, but basically, Andy Garcia wants to open up a snow cone um, restaurant. That's also like a side hustle. Well, I mean, things. I also think that wait don't jump too because i think that like part of like the dance of that scene which is really fun where like andy garcia is like admitting but not admitting that he is responsible for sunny's death and he's yeah. like no 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 i didn't do it but i do want to open this after <laughs> eating like that to me is like one of the most clever things about that scene where he's like i did not kill her and um i'm not gonna like kidnap Sarah, but i do need five hundred thousand dollars to open a no cone business in 1986. Listen, that probably would do really well. That's probably a really good time to open a snow cone restaurant. Yeah. Or, or, or um, I don't know what it is, a snow cone. Like a stand. Shop, a little shop. Um, he, I love that, yeah, this really fucking sleazy Coke dealer has like a dream of, of opening a snow cone shop. How about a little snow cone? Real shaved ice. 
Good-looking car. One flavor today, passion fruit. What's this? Hey. It's good for people when they're in love. So I got 250,000. No one equal weight in the white stuff. The what? The white stuff. The white stuff? The white stuff. Isn't that a movie about astronauts? You know what? Hey, I know game. the game, okay? What? I know you did something. Hey, man, I told you, lay off that shit. And I'm getting a little fucking tired of you accusing me of something I didn't do, my man. You either fucking talk to me straight here. Or they, hey, man, you talk to me fucking straight. Denied. Hey, man, fuck you! Fuck you! You understand what I say? Fuck you! You ain't gonna survive this shit if you hit me with this blackmail shit. Better be aware. You know well, so now he has Sarah. So, so then he has to. What's the other guy's name? The boxer's name? Chance. Then Matt has to like go and talk to Chance about helping this girl out because they both like are in love with her. And so they're trying Andy to like- Garcia's love for her is very underdeveloped, I will say. I don't oh, really understand. I don't think he loves her. No, 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 no. Chance and, cause like, oh, we should say that like the, the morning after she peeks on his dick, like they start to get sweet. Oh, and then when he brings her for, for some reason, when he brings her to the snow cone shakedown, um, Andy Garcia is like, what's she doing here? <laughs> and then there's another line, like maybe in that same scene where Andy Garcia is acting all uppity and he's like, sorry, sorry, sorry. I haven't gotten fucked yet today. I'm like, what is <laughs> I want to know how much of it is improvised because apparently they shot a month of nearly a month of this was shot without a shooting script because Robert Town hadn't finished revision. So Ashby and Bridges were basically just like kind of running around trying to like improvise a lot of scenes, which I'm nearly positive that the entire last showdown with them and oh, the yeah. is, is improvised because every line is basically just fuck you. And it, it goes just, on forever. It's just like people ever. screaming on. My note is just, we'll get to it. I was just like, this is so chaotic. <laughs> this, is yeah. just, this is just a bunch of guys like blown out of their minds like, screaming. Let out. her go. I'm going to fuck you. <laughs> yeah. I, I literally was like, how many times do they say cut her loose in this scene? I want to say they say uh, like, cut her loose like a hundred times. On her diet. Yeah, Everyone yeah, yeah. in the room is just screaming like, cut her loose. I'll cut her loose. <laughs> it's <laughs> insane. And she's just like standing there. But then, so before that stakeout though, because yeah, like you said, they have Rosanna Arquette. He goes to yeah, his old partner who might also be his lover. We're not sure. And I love that they're like going to, they're like getting ready for this like stakeout and his former partner is there with like another random cop. And all he says is he's like, you know, we were partners once. And the other cops totally, yeah. he's like, all right, good enough for me. Let's do this. Um, <laughs> Like he's That's just like ready to go in. He's like, oh, okay, I trust you. The, my favorite part of the standoff, which involves Bridges um, holding all of this cocaine that he has stolen from Garcia's shipment, basically holding it hostage and has a bunch of Molotov cocktails ready to throw yeah. at it, to just burn it all. And my other favorite part is that the the fat henchman who looks who also has a ponytail basically has Rosanna Arquette blindfolded on a dog leash with a yeah. shotgun, like <laughs> kind of almost like taped her. I know the whole time I was like thinking about like if you were like dating Rosanna or Kat and you were just like, what'd you do today, babe? She's <laughs> like, well. He put a dog leash around me. <laughs> also, the henchman looks so happy. I don't know if you noticed, he's like <laughs> smiling the entire time. This looks like he's been stuck behind a computer all day and he's like, finally, I get to put a shotgun in a woman's face. Yeah. It doesn't get better than this for me. He's so excited to potentially kill her. I mean, her life is just completely on the line in this scene. They did not think this through. No one thought it through. It's and I so think that reckless. you're supposed to think that like Matt Matt has thought it more through than chance, which you also know. Cause he like comes, I think he basically is like, well, I'm going to bring every gun I own. <laughs> 
like yeah. no one no one has thought about like the next next steps besides like perhaps Andy Garcia. <laughs> I mean, maybe, but also he knows like even as Jeff Bridges has burned like half of the pile of cocaine, Garcia's just like, okay, man, okay, don't do this, don't do this. Yeah. He's like crying. He's like, oh he's come crying. on. But he still won't let her go. He's like, I'm gonna cut her loose. But he won't do it, which is really no, weird. Oh yeah. He, won't he cut just her keeps loose. saying that he's gonna do it, that he's he like doing thinks Bridges it. is bluffing and he burns like half of his shipment, and then he's like, Oh, maybe he's still bluffing. I don't know. I think it's probably one of the most coked out scenes of any. <laughs> it's movie. so it's, long. It's one of the weirdest, longest, just chaotic scenes I've ever seen. And then yeah, you get your final shootout on the uh on the little the angels flight, little trolley leading up to Garcia's house. But there's a happy ending because because Yeah, because then he gets to go to AA at the beach. <laughs> Scudder gets to go. That's a perfect Bridges AA meeting. Bridges gets to go in his Hawaiian shirt. Scudder ends up at an AA meeting in Malibu or something, and he lives happily ever after with Rosanna Arquette. The snow cone shop will never open, unfortunately. Yeah, that does suck. They never get to open. Everybody's lost. I love that he's talking about the snow cone like it's cocaine when he introduces him to it. He's like, how about a snow cone? It's real shaved ice. <laughs> he's like, it's premium. It's a really... I watched this for the first time a year ago. And oh, you would have already seen it. I watched it last year, and I was like... I. <laughs> I couldn't believe that Hal Ashby had made it. It felt so strange because I was like, I don't know how he got involved with this movie, essentially. It also feels like he basically went to Bridges and Bridges even asked him, he said, why do you want to make this movie? And he said, I don't know. And that's why I want to make it. No. But he said, I'm also more interested in making a film about an alcoholic because Ashby had his own addiction. Oh, yeah. and sober. So I think the way that Ashby and Bridges had talked about it initially was like, let's make a movie about this alcoholic cop looking for redemption. And... Somewhere along the line, it turns into, you know, yeah, like you said, the snow cone showdown, uh, just like a fucking nightmare. And it feels like a Canon Films movie from the 80s. It feels like a, Bron a Charles Bronson movie. Yeah. Um, but I mean, okay, I will say Bridges is able to like, especially compared to the movie that we're going to talk about or like Big Nick or the Bronson movies, there is like a soft quality yeah, about him. Decent. Yeah. And yeah, he wants to be good. And like the whole stuff with his daughter feels like kind of earned. Like when he's talking about her and she, he's like, she's my best friend. Like that sounds sincere. Right, like his right. like his AA speech about how he is grateful that, you know, he's lost everything, but he still gets to be her dad. And he hopes that someday he's, she's as grateful as he is. Like, I think that like it works. It works enough that you don't think he's like the sleaziest guy. Bridges is a guy who's just fundamentally like likable and decent. And that does help them. It, it helps a lot. Like I love Roy Scheider as an actor, but he also is not exactly, he's not exactly screaming like fucking decent chill no. guy. Bridges is very chill and very like, you know, even when he's kind of coming undone, you know, he's kind he of funny about it. Yeah. He doesn't seem scary. You're just like, Oh, this guy's having a fucking hard time. He lives on a pullout couch. Uh, I love this little detail that I, I, I listened to an interview with Jeff Bridges. They asked him about working with Ashby and, he said that the producers were so uncertain about Ashby on set that they hired a spy to basically be on set to be a part oh. of the crew to keep like to report back to them about Ashby. But Ashby apparently was just such a fucking sweet, welcoming, like great guy that he ended up kind of becoming really close friends with the guy who was hired to spy oh. on him <laughs> because he found out that the guy was an alcoholic. And so they talked about their addiction and this guy ended up becoming Bridges advisor on set for the AA meetings. Oh, yeah. That's so cool. he basically he was brought in to like, you know, report back and then ended up just like being their boy, which is amazing. Uh, that's really cute. It, it it does unfortunately have um, like we said, a, 
a zero percent. We never had a zero. I am sure if this movie came out today or even in the 90s, there would be more reviews and it would still be low, but it wouldn't be a zero. I don't know. I feel like if it came out today, like as is, I kind of because like, listen, it's not racist. <laughs> That's how they you know, like I kind of racist. Think that it's, I mean, <laughs> I don't think that anyone would make this movie today, but I think uh, I don't know. But I think that like if anyone did, I think it might be such a relief in some ways. That oh, it, well, yeah, no, for sure. Today, yeah, but I, I don't think anything as sleazy as these two movies could even squeeze past anybody at this point. I mean, that was something that when Tarantino, when I listened to him talk about the movie, that's what he was saying is that even at the time in the 80s, he was like, these were the movies that, you know, we wanted to see and nobody was making them the way that we wanted to. So seeing something like this was so exciting. I don't know, maybe we're, we're overdue for, for something like that to come back. Because like, I don't know, remember that drunk movie with... There was like two drunk movies, like that girl on the train and then the drunk one with Amy <laughs> Adams. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, God, give me a better drunk, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Walter Goodman of The New York Times said, how did 8 million ways to die commit suicide? Let us count the ways. The final wound is inflicted by the director, Hal Ashby, who seems to have made, who seems to have been made desperate by the desultory and disjointed nature of the material. He has the characters constantly shoving and yelling insults at one another, fills the many interludes of an action with headache making music and winds things up with, with as clumsy a burst of bang bang as you've ever seen. But by then, you may feel you've died 8 million deaths. And yeah, again, there's not a lot of stuff. There's not a lot of like, you know, reviews out there that are worth talking about. Variety said an oddly paced work that is sometimes a thriller and sometimes a love story succeeding at neither. And Time Out New York said, what happened? With Ashby and Bridges, Arquette, and a script co-written by Oliver Stone, you expect the result to be better than a long drawn out episode of The Equalizer. Who's your MVP? I think it just has to be Bridges, but... I might really? go Andy Garcia. Honestly. I was going to say, but like, I just kind of feel like all the, play, like the woman who's plays Sunny, like I, th- I, you know, you know, it's how a much great I love, little cast. Yeah. I love a dumb bitch on screen. Like I love yeah. that. Um, She's an all time dumb bitch for sure. We get Rosanna, I feel is pitch perfect. And then yeah, Andy Garcia is really fucking funny. It's like, it like, I hate Scarface, but this is like so funny too. to me that I'm like, oh, it's worth it. No, I think Andy Garcia, like at first I was like, oh man, I think he might be really bad in this. And then he just like grows on you in a way where you're just like, I don't know. It's just fun to watch him chew up the scenery. And also it's also a really young performance from him. He wasn't quite like famous yet and it did even though nobody saw the movie it did help launch his career you know he goes on to do the untouchables and godfather part three after this so i guess i i under it's a movie where like i understand where when people say it's an auteur misfire i'm like i totally it, understand that because it's a it's very out of place in his film i was gonna say unlike the other ones that we've done like i actually even though like, this one might be my favorite i understand how a little harold and maude twerp would hate a um, Eight million ways to die. Yeah, but I mean, there, I think there should have been a nine million ways to die. I think there should have been a ten million ways to die. Like Scudder's back. Scudder, <laughs> like I, I really, Scudder's off the wagon again. <laughs> I really liked. We should do a scene. legacy sequel with Jeff Bridges today as Scudder. Just or like I think that him and Rosanna Arquette. Like what I was thinking of, it's like it could be like playing off of like the Thin Man series, where like they're like drunk detectives. Where he's it could an alcoholic, be, like, and she's no, no, no. They were like sober detectives. <laughs> Oh, fuck. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I have a very soft appreciation for this movie. I have a soft spot for it. And, and I love it. I th- I just think that like some of the dialogue is so nuts. It is. Um, it really is. That I just is. have to like, I was like, and just like, yeah, some of the fucking weird shit that happens, how it seems like he wants to fuck his partner. After that moment, I was like, I'm in. Like, I'm all oh, yeah. in on this movie because it seems like he wants to fuck his partner. <laughs> 
Harry Mitchell has been set up as the perfect target. They got an airtight case against me. It's my gun. They're ruthless. You pay us 105 grand a year for the rest of your life. No! But what they didn't plan on was Mitch having a plan of his own. From Elmore Leonard's gripping bestseller, Roy Scheider and Margaret in John Frankenheimer's 52 pickup rated R. Starts Friday at a theater near you. John Frankenheimer might be one of the most underappreciated action directors of all time, even though that's a label the director would have pushed back against when he was alive. Frankenheimer came up in the 50s when TV was keeping film audiences at home. He wanted to be an actor, even going so far as to later audition for the role of James Bond, but ended up as a film director after falling in love with the craft on television sets. From 1954 to 1960, Frankenheimer directed 152 TV shows. He made his debut in 1961 with The Young Savages, which would serve as his first of five collaborations with Burt Lancaster. Frankenheimer's run in the 60s is comparable to Ashby's in the 70s. In 1962, he directed both Birdman of Alcatraz and The Manchurian Candidate, earning him two DGA nominations but zero Oscar nominations. He would direct the second in his unofficial Paranoia trilogy with Seven Days in May before completing it with his critically maligned but current cult classic, Seconds. He took over the train from Arthur Penn, even negotiating a Ferrari into his final contract, and directed the three-hour race car epic Grand Prix. The 70s were quieter for Frankenheimer, uh, with his most memorable films being the mostly forgotten sequel the French, to The French Connection and his terrorist thriller Black Sunday. The 80s were even worse as Frankenheimer shifted into sleazy genre director with John Johnson's first post Miami Vice starring vehicle Dead Bang, and the film we'll be discussing today, 52 Pickup. Courtney, can you please tell our listeners the plot of 52 Pickup? <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, so, 52, so 52 Pickup is an adaptation of a 70s Elmer Leonard novel that Leonard adapted himself for the big screen. It's about a wealthy construction company owner like not a hot job <laughs> played by Roy Schneider, Schneider. The, uh, Sh- I always think it, I, I always only, thought it was Schneider when I was growing oh it's prob- probably Schneider. because we grew up with Rob um right. I really <laughs> just kind of know him from Jaws who was blackmailed by a team of dipshit pornographers led by the supremely skeezy and evil John Glover this guy's look is amazing <laughs> is amazing yeah Scheider, is it Scheider, right? Scheider, yeah. Scheider's Harry Mitchell has been having an affair with a young model and porn actress played by, I took me a minute to realize, Kelly Preston. Something that would completely fuck up Harry's wife's, Barbara's plan for running for city council. Barbara is played by, again, what a career. (laughs) Fucking (laughs) Anne Margaret. This woman has fucked Elvis and now she's in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but when <laughs> Harry's mistress is killed on camera by the original net video girl guy, Harry is set up to take the fall. Now with nothing to lose, Harry teams up with the wife he's been cucking to take down the ragtag team of horny losers. Like, I know that you were like kind of like picking apart some of the plot holes of the last movie. And I think that this one has less plot holes. But sometimes I'm like, why did this happen to you? Like, you seem oh, yeah. pretty If you really unimportant. think about it, you're like, I don't know why they're doing this to you or how this even Yeah. Happened. But it is very... Frank Frankenheimer's like a lot smoother with it. Like I feel like because he's such a pro in that way yeah. that like he can just kind of fucking go through the motions of it when he needs to. But the movie is currently at a 47% Rotten Tomatoes, a score that is more than double that of our other Frankenheimer film, the beloved Reindeer Games. I was just talking about that movie yesterday. His final film. God, if we would have waited on mm. Reindeer Games, we could have done mm. Reindeer Games with eight million ways to die. <laughs> It's pretty amazing that like it basically just opens with, you know, almost like an 80s sitcom score. Yeah, weirdly enough. Um, it is so weird. It sounds like but also kind of to- porny, like porny sax riffs, too. And- mm-hmm. 
like when like the the theme music plays, it goes to commercial, and now you're like setting the stage in the familial home. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's basically just shots of Roy Scheider and Anne Margaret going to work. Roy Scheider is going to yell. He's at his construction company that he owns. But yeah, it's like doing pretty well. They live in Hancock Park. What does she do before? I was thinking that she's gonna run. Because I'm just like, I mean, nowadays, nowadays, I think that she would be on a housewife show. I don't know. It kind the wife of, just of seems, a local construction company owner. <laughs> I know. It kind of just seems like, like, was she, was she a rich girl? I don't know because she's like basic. She's in politics like vaguely. And then they're like, you should run for city council. And she's like, okay. She's like, really? She's you like, think so? You think a woman could do it? And they're like, yeah, we think it's time. And then she's like, like after that, she's like drunk the Kool-Aid and she's really stoked. Like this is her thing now. But um, her husband's having an affair with like probably a 19 year old. Sorry, sweetie. I got to come clean about this. So I met a teenager. And like, um, they're like all cutesy too. Yeah. They like go on vacations together. It's Kelly. Preston. They like es- Eskimo kiss. So like, mm. yeah, it's, um, it's sick. It's, it's pretty quick too. Like he goes over to see his mistress before we even know that he has a mistress. Like he goes over to this apartment, he walks in and it's clear that it's like an apartment that he has for this other woman. And he is immediately basically confronted by two guys in masks or three guys in masks. Again, like, if you remember our Reindeer Games episode, you remember that the Reindeer Games, the crew in Reindeer Games is just one of the biggest dipshit crews of all time. It's amazing. Incredibly stupid people. I love the dipshit crew in this too. It's it's a really sleazy, dumb fucking crew of dudes led by, by John Glover, who <laughs> John Glover is a guy who I, you know, I think you would know him if you saw him. He's in Gremlins 2. Yeah, I was um, going to say he looks familiar, but I don't actually, yeah, I couldn't have like told you his name. Great character actor. A lot of 80s and 90s stuff. He's in two movies we've covered um, in The Mouth of Madness and Batman and Robin, like kind of bit parts. Sometimes we have to just kind of like wait and talk it out at the end. But sometimes I got to just say my MVP is John Glover. I got to yeah. say there's the there's no world where John Glover is not the MVP of this movie. Yeah, I think that Anne margaret is asked to do some like Sure. Yeah. Bummer things, and I think that she's very good. But yeah, John Glover rips. (laughs) We got asked you to do some pretty bummer shit today. I'm sorry. It's basically like they're like a middle aged couple who have been married for you know whatever something. They don't have any kids, which is interesting. Yeah, 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 they have no kids. Twenty something years, and like there's a pretty good scene with them when he admits to it. It's interesting too that the movie doesn't even try to have a setup where he has to hide the affair from Anne Margaret, and he's like, yeah, he's like stressed about trying to pay these guys off because they want a hundred thousand dollars from him, you know, telling his wife. But he pretty much immediately is like, I'm fucked. Goes home to his wife and is like, yeah, so I've been seeing somebody. Basically, is like, I got tired of that part of our relationship, and she's like, oh, you mean the married part? Yeah, no, she's good in those scenes. She's and great. like they don't they don't they give her actual dialogue that's like not just yeah. She's great. Yeah, she says, Did you like playing daddy? Like, oh, did you go and play daddy with this girl? Mm-hmm. He's like, it's more complicated than that. This guy is so fucking sleep. Like he is like giving nothing. I still by the end of the movie, I'm like, I still think that like if you could trade, you would have your hot teenager, but like listen, if did- I wasn't getting blackmailed, yeah. I Yeah, I'm just like, I don't think he likes his wife. Like, I don't no. think he's like he it's like he almost like puts off how long he can like do something about it he's like one more day let's just wait a couple more days oh yeah his his like friend that he works with is like you got to go to the cops and he's like absolutely not no cops it's gonna fuck up her political aspirations after she's kidnapped it's like (laughs) she gets kidnapped let's give it 48 more hours yeah (laughs) um (laughs) he's just secretly hoping they kill her just kill her kill her kill her 
so he can go to uh, the other girl at the club, Vanity. Who is Vanity? Are you fucking kidding me? So I know that she's like associated with Prince, but I she's don't... like a Prince protege. Yeah, yeah exactly. There was, do you know the group Vanity Six? No, I know that he wanted to call the crew the hookers, apparently. That's like, um, and um, Vanity also, Six was like a pretty good, like, g- girly, I think Nasty Girl is their most okay, popular yeah, song. Yeah. Okay. But they also have a song that's called He's So Dull about like this boring guy that they're, they're not going to fuck. That's maybe <laughs> my favorite of all of their songs. And then Vanity, so it was like three people and then Vanity gets like much, much, much more famous than the other two. She's sort of the front woman and she's also just like, super fucking hot yeah um and she gives a great performance stripping here oh yeah she She died recently she died of kidney failure i guess in 2016 i apparently prince wanted to call her vagina and she was like hey maybe vanity is better and he said okay (laughs) what if we called you vagina though what if we didn't (laughs) what what if we went in a different direction yeah she's she's uh kelly preston's friend you know she's great she does she does her thing The, the crew though john glover and then we get Clarence Williams III, who is just so funny. Fucking one of the just best character actors. Also in Reindeer Games, one of the guys in the dipshit crew in oh, Reindeer yeah. Games. I watched some of Frankenheimer's 90s. He In the 90s, he did The Island of Dr. Moreau, where he stepped in for Richard Stanley, a movie that we will undoubtedly cover at some point. And he also had like a mini comeback with Ronan. Ronan was kind of looked at as like a return to form for him with De Niro. And he also did some TV movies. He did a movie that I sent you a screenshot of called Against the Wall with Kyle MacLachlan. Uh, that looked bad. It's really good. It's really, really good. I was shocked. It's a, it's. I was like, wow, a fucking 94 HBO movie looks better than almost every movie made today. Okay. It's made but I feel TV. like it's our great. listeners will know him most from the movie that we talk about the most that we can't talk about. Is He's in Deep Cover. Deep Cover. And then, okay, have you ever seen The Mod Squad? No, I've seen the movie, unfortunately, with Omar Epps and, and Giovanni Bizzi and Claire Danes. And Claire Danes. I have too. And isn't that Peggy Lipton? So they have like a Kyle MacLachlan connect. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how Piggy Lipton gets famous too. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but yeah, I've never realize... seen the Mod Squad. But he is so fucking funny here. He's like... incredible. He just he's in against the wall. The the movie I watched with him this week. He's fantastic in it. I remembered him growing up because I never saw Tales from the Hood growing up. But I always oh, okay. saw the trailer, and I always remembered him as the guy who owns like the haunted house that they go to. Um, and that's how I he's always hot. associated him. And then half baked, fucking great character actor. Also died um, two years ago, unfortunately. Oh, he's passed away. That's too passed bad. away. He was eighty something, I think. Like yeah. he is really, really, really funny in this movie. I feel like he's he's great. Okay, so like Roy Scheider, it's you said you only really know him from Jaws. Um, yeah, what else? I think is- that's how most people know him from. But yeah. like, I think what I realized over the last like I don't know maybe like decades since I've watched more films with him in it is like Roy Scheider gives, I think one of the best performances of all time and all that jazz. I think he's, it's a fucking phenomenal performance. It's, it's insane that he didn't win for it. He's never really put in the same tier as Hackman or De Niro or Pacino, Mm -hmm. but he really is an incredibly underrated actor He's great in French Connection. He's great in Clute. I mean, he's uh, great in Jaws. Like, Oh, yeah, for sure. He's Sorcerer is fucking amazing. You haven't seen Sorcerer? No, I think. Oh, dude, no, I haven't. Ribs. I think yeah, that he like sorcerer. looks the part here, but it's like, I mean, he's giving the performance of like a wash up cop, but you're like, you owned a construction business. Yeah, I think I, you think he's, if you look at the poster of this movie, you think he's a cop. 
Yeah. And I think that like that is something that I just couldn't get over where it's like it's L.A., right? Like like, I'm sure cooler people that you can get more from are cheating on their wives, right? Like, no. Yeah. I'm like, how did they land on this guy? Like, I guess maybe because he would go to this strip club and but it seems like he's never been to the strip club. So I'm like, how did he know? I don't know how. I don't know how he met her. Because she tells him that he, she's a model. And then, yeah, John Glover is like, what do you think? She models for Vogue. But Roy Scheider, he's definitely like a very leathery. He's, he's very guy. leathery. He's like hard boiled here. And then you just remember like he's a construction worker. <laughs> like he probably had to work his way They're trying out. to take down my business. <laughs> you look, it's not one of the top Scheider performances. I would definitely say watch all that jazz and Sorcerer and, and you know, some of his others for that. But, you know, he, he's a guy who kind of. You know, he just kind of consistently worked. I think up until his death, he popped up and stuff throughout the '90s and 2000s. But you know, here he's he's solid. It's a very kind of solemn, serious performance. It kind of is nice because it's, it's like balanced so by impenetrable. Though you're just like, so you. D- oh, I don't do give you- a fuck about the guy for sure. No, yeah. that's not a reason that I would recommend the movie. I I don't feel any sympathy or or connection to his okay, uh, yeah. character. I don't identify with owning a successful construction company. But yeah, basically, he is forced to basically interact with these guys because they go to him and they're like we need you to pay us a hundred thousand dollars and then i'm so it's so interesting because then he goes to ann margaret and is like i cheated on you she kicks him out and then he still doesn't pay them so they kill kelly preston in like the darkest way possible and film it yeah they show they show him the murder on camera these guys are also like pornographers yeah (laughs) they basically live in a porno house well and then one dude kind of like it's also kind of like a like you can Probably fuck there. Oh, yeah, yeah. The place on, on Santa Monica and Vine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who's run by a, a guy who looks like the son of Sam. Uh, and also, I don't know if you watched the other two. Have you watched that show? Oh, no. Yeah. I was going to yes. say he looks like a worse version of that one guy that IRL is George Clooney's best friend in real life that was in like Mad About You and stuff. Paul Reiser? No. no. I'm talking about. Who are you? Oh, Richard about? Kind? Yeah. You, you, I, I, think I think he looks, he looks like, like the guy on the other two who's the main character's gay best friend. It's like his actor, like they're yeah, both exactly. actors. Yeah, in- yeah, yeah. yeah oh, okay, okay, okay. He yeah. kind of looks like him, but he also does kind of look like David Berkowitz, the son of Sam. And yeah. I think he looks like Richard Kind. <laughs> Um, he's like a very neurotic, very sweaty guy who's basically like, oh, I think I'm in over my head. I feel like you guys are going to fuck me over. <laughs> and oh, you are going to fuck me over. Um, yeah. And he has like a picture of himself hanging up <laughs> in, his, <laughs> in his porno office. Yeah. I love <laughs> when they first show the porn house that these guys live in. They basically, it's like a frat house, but it's just for like porn actresses and, and, and directors. And John Glover's basically just walking around with an eye patch on filming a bunch of women fucking yeah. in his house. And Kelly Preston's really sad before she dies so that's the whole thing is that she's like i don't want to live in this porn house anymore like it makes me sad vanity's like no it's okay like we'll get you out of here um and then she unfortunately dies in like the most horrific way yeah she really does she really gets done pretty dirty yeah it's a really dark scene uh john glover is while he's narrating her murder he says i'm so proud of my lighting in this it's beautiful isn't it he's just one of the best villains he is sick. He is just relishing in it, man. He is having so much fun just being the most despicable fucking weird guy. I love a good weird loser, just weird villain, just a weird guy who is evil as fuck. It's like kooky. Yeah, very kooky. Uh, the kind of villain we probably might not ever get again. I also love the set decoration in his, his bedroom. He has like 20 lava lamps. Which is amazing. He has a lot of lava lamps. He's, he's like a child. Yeah, and he does have a very obnoxious face. It's kind of like Gary Busey-esque at times. And at one point, Roy Scheider does say, something about your face just makes me want to slap the shit out of it. Um, He also sounds weirdly Canadian and British at times, but he's not. He's from New York. 
It's just his kooky accent. She's got a funny accent. Yeah, it's a really sleazy, ugly movie. I think it's a blast. I, I love it. I miss movies like this so much. I was into it. I think the scene where he abducts Anne Margaret is so upsetting. <laughs> and like, and like, and then he like dopes her up on heroin. Gets her all doped up. That's why she was almost my MVP because like she has to like, she's so scared in this moment and she's like really trying to fight. And he's just like, babe, babe. He gets her all fucked up on heroin and he says, he says, that's okay. Just don't let it ruin your high though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my favorite, lo- one of my favorite lines of his though is when he calls Roy Scheider after that and he goes, you know, I've been thinking about you and I'm just getting bad vibes, man. Yeah. <laughs> And then More. in like the final like face off or whatever, he <laughs> yeah, he's another. just so stoked. <laughs> like he's so stoked to get the money. He's killed everybody in his crew. And now he ends up with like he basically has like the money in, in Roy Scheider's car. And his like final parting thing that he says to Roy Scheider and Anne Margaret, who's still just like coming down from the heroin he gave her. He's like, You got a fine bitch there. She's got a lot of mileage on her, but she still cooks, which is yeah. one of the grossest things. So gross. <laughs> It's a a canon films movie through and through. Oh, when fucking, what's his name? Clarence Williams comes to confront John Glover about the money. And he comes in and he says, get rid of of the bitches. And you just hear this girl go, what do you call us? I think it's the same girl who earlier on is trying to get on camera by sucking her friend's tit. And then like he moves the camera away and she's like, wait, what are you you going? (laughs) Oh man. It's a good time though. It is a good time. It's a gross time, but it's a good time. And also both of these movies are streaming for free. So if you want to have like a really sleazy night. These are Tubi movies, baby. Yeah. If you if you're looking for these, they're on Tubi or Pluto, um, which, whichever one. I don't fuck with Pluto. That's the Canadian one, right? They're like the same thing. I like Tubi though because sometimes you can tell they just ripped the movie from the DVD because the main menu will come up from the DVD. Oh, really? It. Yeah, it's amazing. God bless Tubi. Well, this is it then. Adios, amigos. It's been fun. Beat it. <gasps> Beat it. Got a fine bitch there. There's a lot of mileage on her, but she still cooks. Critics here, though, 47%. Janet Maslin of the New York Times said it's fast-paced, lurid, exploitative, and loaded with malevolent energy. It sure is. Yeah. John Frankenheimer, who directed, hasn't done anything this darkly entertaining since Black Sunday. Paul Atanasio at the Washington Post said John Frankenheimer has directed 52 Pickup in a style so devoid of nuance, the movie almost watches what? itself. <laughs> but Roger Ebert liked this movie. He gave it three and a half stars. And he had a very good reason for it. He said a movie is only as good as its villain. John Frankenheimer's 52 Pickup provides us with the best, most reprehensible villain of the year and uses his vile charm as the starting point for a surprisingly good film. Hey. There's also a lot of titties in that. I was going to say, he liked Tilly Preston's tits and Vanity's tits. (laughs) Me likey. Two thumbs up. So we know who our MVP is. It's John Glover. Yeah. Don't do it. But shout out to Anne Margaret, an actress who I only knew as a kid as the woman from Grumpy Old Men. Right. I know. She stayed really hot. She can still cook. She did. She looks great. She isn't any given Sunday. I remember that. But she's fucking so good in carnal knowledge. Yeah, she is. Oh, man. If you haven't seen carnal knowledge, highly recommend it for, for Nicholson and, and Anne Margaret. And also Art Garfunkel again. I was going to say, our boy our Art isn't bad in it as well. I know. I'll probably revisit it because we're going to be talking about Wolf. Do you think it's an autonomous fire? I haven't seen as many of his movies as you've seen, but I would say no, but I understand because I feel like sometimes when someone goes from like prestigious movies to something more genre, I feel like people, people be upset. People do be upset. 
I don't know. I think that he's an underrated guy. I don't know. It's like he's also not really talked about as like Ash, like like Ashby. He's not really talked about in the upper echelon of directors. But like this guy was like a huge pioneer in in television. Like he changed the way that that television was shot. It used to just be shot like a play. He was shooting with multi with multi cameras. That's crazy. And he shot so much of it. He's an incredible action director. The chase scenes in Ronin are fucking some of the best. And I think just like one of the most formally innovative filmmakers who just didn't want to be pinned down as an action director and definitely strayed from from thrillers but i think venturian candidate is a movie that probably most people are familiar yeah and seconds oh seconds is great that's my favorite Uh, have you seen seconds no i haven't the venturian candidate is just like it's great i actually prefer the demi version i like both they're both great i have no preference i think i uh, i know i probably like the first one more but that's just but, yeah, but I want to watch more movies like this. Like, I liked how sleazy these were. Oh, they're super sleazy. You, you want to know something? Huh. I've been t- saving this. You were right. Um, Taylor did not fall asleep to this movie. It was too sleazy. Thank you. Exactly. You can't fall. Come on. <laughs> I was like, damn, he's seen that. <laughs> I got to know. I, I got to know what this porn guy is going to do. <laughs> <laughs> this porno house is really scary. <laughs> you just went to a house with an American flag hanging out the front of it. That's all neon lit and lava, lava lamps covering the walls and some guy running around with a camera and an eye patch. Like, oh my also, God. like at that point in time in 1986, th- those like that's sort of like dated decor, you know, it was so funny. <laughs> this guy's a fucking loser. Yeah. I, one last thing about Frankenheimer, though, he was written off by a lot of critics in general. Pauline Kael and Andrew Saris both, at his peak, dismissed him as an overreaching minor talent. Saris lamenting his synthetic technique, Kale, his tendency towards sanctimoniousness. I think it's bullshit. I think Frankenheimer is just one of the fucking greats, especially if you love genre films, you like action. I can't recommend his, his, his movies enough. Even Dead Bang, which I think you said you're convinced you have seen. and I, I think I saw that when I was dating Joe. Okay, one of the funniest, yeah. sleaziest movies yeah, ever, it's, especially it's to follow funny. this up with. But yeah, we're going to, I mean, we're kind of continuing the the vibes next week. Okay. We're, we're going to be talking about, I can't believe this, our first Clint Eastwood movie. How is that talk? possible? I don't know. I've been edgy. You have such a boner for, or a, cl- a clip for Clint. <laughs> I forgot. Not a boner. It's for Clint. We're going to be talking about a movie of his that, oh man, The Rookie, co-starring Charlie Sheen. Just one of the funniest. Who's the lead? Clint and Charlie Sheen. What year uh, is it? 1990 and we will be pairing that with our first john woo movie broken arrow oh cool. fucking certified classic starring john travolta christian slater and samantha mathis god samantha mathis deserves like she's kind of she a rock girly so yeah you know there, there's going to be plenty of good stuff like that this month we'll also be talking about a couple conspiracy thrillers we'll be talking about the pelican brief as well as conspiracy Ooh. theory to julia roberts 90s movies and then we'll be talking about mars attacks and the lost Fuck world yeah. jurassic park so our first tim burton our first spielberg we got a lot on the books this month and we are sorry that we did not deliver our barely fresh bonus episode last month there was a lot going on courtney yeah i had to suddenly move into a new place you sure did it worked out because now we get to do a little Nicholson double feature with the Witches of Eastwick and Wolf. All right. And as usual, if you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify or any of those other podcast apps, please make sure to rate and review. Just a little five stars, a little five star review. Say some nice words. Recommend it to friends. Also, if you are looking for bonus episodes or more content, you can always subscribe to our Patreon. We have tiers beginning as low as $3 a month, which will give you early access, as well as for higher tiers, you can get bonus episodes, live watches, monthly recs. Uh, and you're also just helping out two, two broke waiters trying to make ends meet. But a very special thank you to all of our all of our Patreon subscribers who make this possible. And a very special shout out to our top subscribers, Royce Burke, 
Victoria Kruger, Andrea Ferris, ASR, Ben Beakey, Devin Hansen, Arrow, Sayeno, Jean Yanarell, Britton Chance, Constant Carino, Graham Redman, Neil Fuller, Matthew Hayes, Alex Colpin, Brittany Barker, Brody Anderson, Connor Duran, Eric Hockman, Jade Yankowski, Madeline Dugan, Mary Caitlin Kosky, Nick Laskin, and Ryan Oliver. Thank you so much. We could not do this without you. And as always, we will see you next week. <laughs>